Hey, how's everybody doing? Hey, my name's Ty. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be back with you. I've been on a little bit of a break, uh, but I'm back now, and it's just so good to be here with you people. Uh, I missed you people and love you people, so we're here together. I'm just going to keep saying you people because it sounds weird when I say it. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, hey, if you're a guest with us, thank you for being here as well. i got one announcement before we get ready to start. We have this thing we do here called Cohorts. Uh, and this fall, we're launching eight brand new cohorts. You can see a lot of them right here. Uh, if you want any more information on that, you can scan the third QR code on the back seat in front of you. But one I want to highlight is Refuge. Refuge is coming. Uh, we've been doing ref Refuge for uh, a few years now. It's about a 17-week program in which you, uh, it's really intensive, and you meet once a week, and it's, there's a large group teaching and small group teaching. Uh, and it's for those who have some, uh, just some wounds and some weariness and some weaknesses that they really want some help with. Maybe you're in some bad habits or you're just kind of stuck in life. And so I really want to highly recommend Refuge for you. So don't miss on that opportunity. Third QR code on the seat back in front of you. Sound good? Man, I think I forgot how to preach. Like I'm standing up there like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, I've been gone for a while and we've been going through the book of Romans. And so um, you guys have covered Romans chapter three and four while I was gone. And so I thought, you know what? Chapter five is a big transition within the book. So I thought I had better uh, summarize a little bit before we get going. So let me summarize a little bit of Romans. And maybe you're new here and you're like, I don't even know what a Romans is. It's a book of the Bible. Uh, but in chapter one and two, to summarize, it's telling us, all of humanity, them, uh, which Paul wrote the, this letter inspired by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, telling them, the church, uh, the people of Rome, and telling us now as well, to summarize chapter one and two, you're toast. I mean, that's it. That's, like, if we were to stop at chapter two, it's like, well, I guess we're done for. Because, uh, like, there's no amount of religion, no matter of good deutery, no matter of, like, buying Girl Scout cookies and walking old ladies across the street that's going to save you and make you favorable before God. Uh, but thank God for chapter three and four, because in chapter three and four, we find the one who is good enough, the one who has obeyed God fully, the one who has uh, submitted completely to the Father's will, and the one who has no sin whatsoever. He is the hero of the story, and his name is? Jesus. And so thank God for Jesus. And so we find in chapter three and four that when we place our faith, our complete uh, surrender under the control of Jesus, under the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, we find that we find life. And we have this theological word that Paul's going to use a whole lot throughout the book of Romans, the word we are justified. Isn't that really great news? We're justified. Now, some of you are like, what does justified mean? Well, uh, technically, justified means that we have this right legal standing with God, that we are right before God. But justified, an easy way I, I remember justified is this. Uh, we are justified, and when God looks at, us, looks at us, it's justified, never sinned, and justified, always obeyed. Why? Who did that? Jesus. And so we have the perfect record of Jesus. And so that kind of summarizes chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so when we hear that, we should all shout, Hooray, right? Yay, it's really good. Uh, that, that's you know this, this good news we call the gospel. And so we gather here on Sundays, and on Sundays we're just not doing a religious thing, but we're coming in here with a big shout of hooray, of praising God and thanking God and remembering uh, all that Jesus has done for us and, and, and loving Jesus and uh, adoring Jesus and loving one another. We, we come in here together as a family to enjoy God together. Am I right? Like you, you, you know how to enjoy things, don't you? Some of you are like, I enjoy things too much sometimes and it gets me in trouble. We know how to enjoy things. And so we are called to enjoy 
God, that's what it's called. Like, like Christianity is not about like, hey, I signed up for the right thing. I come and do uh, spiritual things, and I try to minimize sin in my life, which that's a good thing. But Christianity is, is not just that. It's more than that. It it's really gives us an opportunity as human beings to enjoy God. And that's what we're called to do. But, but, but over time, if not careful, we get busy and we get distracted and life happens and we kind of forget to enjoy God in the normal everyday ones and twos of, of life. We do that in marriage sometimes, right? Marriage is about uh, enjoying it too. You're supposed, like, let me, for some of you been married for a while, you're supposed to enjoy one another. Did you know that? Like, like you're supposed to flirt with one another and have date nights with one another and, and Netflix and chill, which when you're older, Netflix and chill just means you start the Netflix show and then you fall asleep 10 minutes later. It's like, like, like parenting, you're supposed to enjoy your children. Did you not? Did you forget that? You are to enjoy your children. You're like, you come to my house and you enjoy them. No, they're your kids. We're supposed to laugh with them and play games with them and, and, and beat them and talk smack with them. That way we build their character up. We'll talk about more of that in a little bit. The same is true with God. We are supposed to enjoy him. We're created in such a way as human beings we're made right with him all because of what Jesus done. We're supposed to enjoy God. And so that's what, uh, that's what I want to do today. I just want to enjoy God together. Like, I'm super excited about this because it's like an easy message because like, hey, let's just enjoy God together. And so if you've got a Bible, go to Romans chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend our time, Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible here at Grace Point Church, we always say you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. We are people of the Bible, and so we want you to have one as well. Uh, no worries, we've done you solid. We have them in English and Spanish out at Centerpoint. You can stop and pick one up. It's a free gift. And also you versions an app on your phone that we use as well. Uh, but in light of our text today, here's what I want to do. I want to give us three truths. Three truths. I'm so funny. I'm just not like a numbered guy, but I'm doing it today. Three truths uh, to help us enjoy God. So Romans chapter 5. Are you there? Are you ready? All right. Romans 5, 1. Somebody is ready right over there. Here we go. Therefore, so like, of course, uh, Paul's writing that therefore because of, in light of chapters one through four, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by our works, not by our do-goodery, not by our morality or, or anything like that, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So peace only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Point number one, that we should celebrate and just enjoy God with number one, you and I, if you're in Christ, we have peace with God. You're at you're at peace. This is an unchangeable fact. You are uh, at peace with God. Now, peace is such an interesting word. Uh, we all want peace. Every human being wants peace. We want personal peace. We want relational peace. If you're married, you want marriage peace. You want family peace. You want national peace, right? We want national peace. <laughs> Good luck. We want, we want global peace. As a matter of fact, I think we should start thinking about intergalactic peace. I, I, man, the, you military people are finding all kinds of things in the sky nowadays, right? I, uh, I, I read a report that uh, an alien visited someone here in Las Vegas. Did you guys see that as well? Did you see it? Eh, believe what you want to. I don't care. But anyway, everyone wants peace. We want it. But, but the, the greatest war in which we need peace with is not with one another and it's not with the world around us. It's with God. We naturally have hostility with God. And we need that peace settled before we'll have any other peace. Um, bumper stickers are not, or bumper stickers are just not a thing anymore, right? 
They used to be a big thing, and people put bumper stickers on their cars, and sometimes Christians, and uh, I'm not making fun of Christians, I'm making fun of what we do. Uh, sometimes we, we, we put dumb bumper stickers on our car, and one of the worst, it says, Jesus is my co-pilot. Like, Jesus can't drive, or like, you know, like, like you're in control, Jesus, sit over there and be quiet. And then we're like, Jesus, take the wheel, and you're reminded, like, oh, wait a minute, he doesn't drive. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. But, uh, but there is one bumper sticker I saw one time. I saw it on a shirt as well. I was like, that's really good. And it says this. I'll show it on the screen. It says, no Jesus, no peace. Like, you know, like if, you, if there's no Jesus in your life, there'll be no peace in your life. But if you know Jesus, you will know what peace is. And I think that peace kind of trickles down in all of life. But we must know Jesus if we are going to have peace with God. Now, for some people, you may bristle against that a little bit. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean peace with God? I, I, I thought God was okay with all of humanity. I thought God was love. I thought we were just all God's children. And the answer to that is false. The Bible tells us something different. Yes, God is love, but, but God is perfect, and God has a holy and just wrath, and he is righteous. And also, the Bible doesn't say that we are all God's children. We're all God's special creation created in his image, and God has a special love for his creation. But in order to be a part of uh, God's family, you must be, what Jesus says in John chapter 3, born again. And so you must be adopted. So listen, listen. If you're here today and you're like, hey, I'm not a Christian, just kind of figure this stuff out. What does all this mean? In order to be a child of God, you must be adopted. In order to have the Father, you must trust the Son. And He has paid the price, the penalty for our separation. And so you can be adopted as well. And you can have this peace with God. And the beautiful thing about this peace with God, it is permanent, it is forever. Once you have peace with God through Jesus, you will never not have peace with God. You will never be at war with God again. You can disobey God, and God will put some, uh, some things in your way to kind of trip you up to get you to come to your senses, but you will have peace with God. Truth number one, in Christ we have peace with God. Hooray. But some of you are like, whoa, 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 wait. I don't feel like I have peace with God. It doesn't feel like I have peace. Perhaps we, we have forgotten that, that peace is us surrendering to God, not God surrendering to us. And God has not surrendered to me, and so I don't have peace with God yet. When he gets on my timetable, when he gets in my plan, when he gets into my way, then I'll have peace with God. Or for some of us, the reason why we don't have peace with God is because there's just areas of our life that we refuse to surrender to God. And because of that, we just don't feel this peace with him. See, we're called to, con to, to, con uh, to surrender all of control and all of life to him. And when we don't surrender all of control and all of life to him, in a sense, what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to be gods ourselves. And we want everything to be surrendered to us. And we kind of realize that we're in a world where everybody wants to be their own god or find other gods. And there's like all this war going on because everybody's at war with, with, with trying to be a god. Am I right? Let me, let me give you one area this plays out. Maybe you're familiar with this area. It's called marriage. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever, had, some, you ever had war within your marriage? You ever been married? Right? Like, why? Because at times, 
the both of us are trying to be a God and we're trying to get the other one to submit to me as the God and the other one wants to be God and try to submit to me as God and it just causes this friction and then we come out in marriage and we're like, well, hey, uh, I just don't feel like we're on the same page. I don't feel like we have the same purpose. I don't feel like we have the same goal. I feel like we just don't know what we're doing through here uh, and we're always just butting heads and going through war. Did I just describe your marriage right then? <laughs> Perhaps the problem is, is we're, not, we're not submitting ourselves completely to God both of us, and submitting ourselves to his word and finding out who we are and our roles within marriage and working together for the common goal of glorifying God together. Perhaps that may be it. Or maybe the reason why you don't have peace is because you've never trusted Jesus. You've done religious things. You've done Christian things. You show up to church. You grew up Catholic. You got sprinkled as a baby. You did things like that. But you personally have never trusted Jesus. And so like there's this feels like this constant war inside of you. Like you, you could be like a young person, you could be a person advanced in age, but you, you still just don't know who you are. So there's this war of like your identity. I don't, I don't even know who I am. There's all this war within your relationships. It just feels like there's no peace whatsoever. And you're like, man, I gotta find some sort of peace. And so what do you do? Well, you're like, I gotta do some activities that makes me feel like peaceful. So I gotta start stretching. I gotta rub some essential oils on it or something like that. I gotta start eating more and drinking more and taking more things and watching more television, looking at my screen more, and that will give me peace. No, that'll only buy you a little bit of time. That'll only distract you for a little while. Where you come to the conclusion that those things aren't giving me any peace whatsoever. Come to the conclusion that our soul is a bottomless pit. No matter what we shove in there, it's just not enough to have peace. There's only one thing that fits. That is Jesus. And so perhaps today you need ultimate peace, and that's going to come through submitting and surrendering your life and trusting Jesus today. Don't, don't miss that opportunity. But point number one, one way we can enjoy God is we know we have peace with God. Christian, you have peace with God. He's no longer angry at you. He's not mad at you. He wants you, and he loves you, and he invites you in. You have peace with God. Hooray. Okay, it's just me. Let's keep going. That's on you, man. Verse 2 says, through him, who's the him right here? One plus one is Jesus. Got it. Okay. Uh, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, in which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Point number two, some, another way we can enjoy God. We have access with God. Isn't that great? You and I have access with God. He says we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand. This, this grace, um, I heard it described like this one time. Every day you have the grace from God for that day that you need. Uh, back in the Old Testament, Moses and his people, they were wandering around the desert. They got hungry, and God provided a substance for them. It fell from the sky. Remember what it was called? Manna. And one of the deals with manna was like, hey, you can only get enough manna for one day. If you try to like hoard it all in, it'll rot and get worms. And for some reason, they're like, don't believe you, God. And sure enough, they kept it for an extra day. And what happened? It got gross, like, yeah, right? And so they, 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 they needed to trust God for each day. Trust him for each day. Don't store it up so I can trust him this day. And then 10, 10 days later, I'll trust him again for each day. Grace is the same way. Listen, you have enough grace for today. And tomorrow, don't worry about tomorrow because God is good and he is faithful and he will give you enough grace for tomorrow. 
That's the good news. And because of that, because of this grace or part of that grace is you and I have access to God right now. Like, like right now. So, so Christian, listen, Christian, Christianity, you becoming Christian, it's not all about, okay, I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. I threw my stick in the fire. I burned my CDs when I was a teenager or whatever you did. Uh, it's not about then, okay, then I'm going to run out the clock. And when I die, that's when I'll have access to God. I'll be with God, which is true. You'll have (laughs) unfiltered access with God. But listen, listen, you have access with God right now. Like, with confidence, the book of Hebrews says that we can approach God. Like, we can go to Him boldly. We can go to Him like we know Him because He knows us. It's not always quite been like this, though. Let me, let me give you a little history lesson. This is going to be a wild history lesson. It's going to be all over the place, but you'll catch on. Uh, in the beginning, when you look all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, it's the book of Genesis, which just means beginnings, uh, you see Adam and Eve there, right? Adam and Eve are there. God, there, God created them, uh, crowned jewel of his creation, and they were naked, and they had no shame, and they were, were intimate with one another, and they knew the world around them. It was all good, and they had this close relationship with God. Anytime he would come around, they'd go running to him, and hey, God, and they'd hang out with God, and everything was great. And God said, hey, don't eat of the one tree, right? Remember that? Don't eat of the one tree. And what they do? And then sometimes we're like, bonehead, why would they do that? You do the same thing. If I said, if I said there's a button under your seat right now, don't push it, you'd be like, okay, 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 you do it. Uh, and sure enough, after that, uh, they, they looked at themselves like, oh my gosh, we're naked. And they started to feel shame and they, they knew they had violated God's uh, uh, command and they knew it was really, really bad. And so instead of running to God, now what are they doing? They're running away from God. And now they're hiding. And God's like, oh, this is a mess. And so what does he do? Well, humanity not, cannot stand before God in that sinful state or nature. Something now must die. So God kills animals, clothes them. Now they're covered. But he's like, you guys got to get out of the garden. And so he puts an angel there with the sword. You know the story, right? And so time goes on, families go on. And I'm going to fast forward you a little too far, but all the way to Moses. Remember that scene in Moses where they're in Egypt and let my people go. And they finally, they finally go and they're in the wilderness and Mount Sinai and a lot of that's going on. He's going to go to the mountaintop and get the commandments of God from God. Remember that? And he told all the people, all the people, hey, all the people down there, don't touch the mountain. Remember? It, what happens if you touch the mountain? You die, right? And so there's this separation, this distance. They're not close with God because if they were to touch the mountain, then they are going to die. Then you fast forward the story a little bit more and they create this thing called a tabernacle. You're like, what's a tabernacle? It's like a mobile home for Jesus. It's like, it's like they're, they're moving God around in the desert. They got wheels on the thing. And so they would set up shop with this tabernacle and you'd have like these different chambers within the tabernacle. And the furthest one was called the Holies of Holy. And that's where the white, hot presence of God would be. That's where you could stand before God. But only one person could do that, right? The great high priest. And so when you read the Old Testament, it feels like there's like this, this barrier. But then it happens. The New Testament opens up. We're introduced to Jesus, the promised one of the Old Testament that would take away the separation. Jesus comes and he lives perfectly in our place. And then he goes and does something odd. He dies on the cross for us. And when he dies on the cross, when he dies, it's, it says that the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, that's a really thick material ripped from top to bottom, signifying that now, because of Jesus, we have access to God. And so the only way that we are granted access is by a relationship with Jesus, because he's the one that's always had full access, right? 
And so now because of Jesus, we have access. So we, we can like live like that, like, like I am a child of God. I've been adopted. He is my father, and I can go to him at any time. Uh, I, I grew up in a super small town in Kentucky, and uh, we have a main street. So like when you're thinking uh, small town, for some of my older folks here, think, uh, what is it, Mayberry? Mayberry? Yeah. For some of you younger people, like, well, it's a Mayberry, whatever. So uh, really small town, had Main Street, and I called it Grandma Street because I had two grandmas that worked right there on Main Street. It was amazing. So one of my grandmas worked at the bank. It was called the People's Bank. And when you walked in, it was super old, and uh, it had a, like an original old school vault in the wall, like the big spinny door, like Scrooge McDuck style, right? And so I remember being a little kid, I'd walk in there, and they had like a little half door. I walked past this half door, and no one would stop me. Like bank robbers do this. Like no one would stop me. And I walked straight into the vault, and no one said a word to me. I remember walking into the vault, and I was so disappointed. There was no money in there. <laughs> there were no gold coins. There was just a bunch of key like slots on the wall where people like have little... Um, little drawers of, I don't know what they're hiding in there, like secrets or something. Anyway, so disappointed. But I had access. Why? Because my granny worked there. No one else could go do that. They would attack somebody. They would like tackle someone, shoot them in the kneecap. Not me. Why? I walked in there boldly because that's where my granny works. We have the same access, if not more, with God. Like you can go straight to him. You don't need a mediator like me or a priest or anything like, no, Jesus is our mediator. You go right to him. You can, you can come to God. Wait for this. It'll blow your mind. You can, you can have access to God even when we leave church. Can you believe it? That's, that's the good news of this adoption. Uh, Mike Bird said it like this. It is a grace that means we always have a VIP pass into the hallways of heavenly power. So in Christ, we have access. Hooray. But for some of you, you may feel like, well, you know, I feel like God is distant right now. You just may feel like, I just don't feel close to God. I feel like I don't have access. Go back to verse 2. I want to show you something. It says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace. How, how is it possible for you to have access? It says here, by, by faith. You, you believe you believe that Jesus forgave you. You believe that Jesus loved you. You believe that Jesus gave you access. Let me talk to you if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian here today, let me talk to you. If you're not a Christian, I really want you to lean in and listen to this conversation. I'm about to have a Christians. Um, and when you were saved, when you trusted Jesus, what did you do, Christian? Let me help you with that. You repented of sin meaning you realized you were running from God, you realized you were rebellious to God, you realized you had your back to God, you realized you were doing the things that God didn't want you to do, and you repented. You're like, I'm sorry, and you turned back to God, and by faith, you trusted him, right? You trusted the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. You're like, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to submit my life to him as best as I can. Like, repent and believe, right? That's what you did, right? If you didn't do that, come see me. But uh, that's what you did. You were, of some, some way, somehow, you repent and you believe, and you were born again and became a Christian. Hooray. Right? Got it? But then, like, time went on, and it, and it happened to you. Uh, you. You somehow believed that I like, trusted Jesus. Now the rest of my life is get to work and this constant improvement project that you are and trying to make yourself better and trying to level up or all the different things you do. Uh, but then it happened to you down the road a little bit. You messed up. You sinned. 
And maybe it was a small sin, maybe it was a big sin, maybe you completely blew it or whatever it was. And you had this feeling deep down inside like, man, I shouldn't be doing that anymore. I shouldn't be saying that anymore. I shouldn't be acting the fool like that anymore. And this feeling like I should be past this, but you realize you're not. And so something happens inside of you when that happens. You're like, wait a minute, I can't go to God anymore. Like, He's got to be so upset with me now. He knows I've been walking with him for a long time, and I'll, I'll go do something dumb like that. And so what do we do? We Adam and Eve this thing. We start running from God. We start to run from God. How do you run from God? You start to kind of back away from church people. You start backing away from going to God's work because you're like, I, I, don't, I don't want to hear him anymore. I don't think he wants to hear me. You stop praying. Is that about right? Because we thought, oh, I was, I was passive. L- 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 let me help you with this. Let me, let me help you with this. Go back to what you first did. <laughs> Repent and believe. Like you realize when, when you trusted Jesus, that grace of his was good for, to forgive you of your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. Do you remember that? And so like this has already been covered. Like he, he's got you, am I right? And so now we can go back to him. And so for some of you, why you, do, you feel distant from God is because there's sin in your life. What you simply can do is just go rest on or do the belly flop on the grace of God and be like, I did it again. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Eh, but you're stuck with me. And by faith, I trust you, right? That's, that's what we're called to, to do again. Like, remember, you're a son. You're a daughter. You have been adopted. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to re-orphan you. That's the good news. Now you have access. You can keep going to him over and over with, with, with the need of forgiveness. He understood what he signed up for. For some of you, are like, well, if you keep going to God over and over and over, well, that's, that's an abuse of his grace, and that's just not right. Maybe we should look at that a different way. Maybe not going to him over and over is an abuse of his grace because his grace is that good. His grace is that deep of a pool that we can jump in over and over and over. I don't, want to have, I don't want to misuse or misunderstand the gospel knowing that Jesus loves me. That's it, period, the end. It's been settled. So you and I, we have access to God so we can enjoy him. Point number two, access to God. You ready? Let's go to point number three. Verse three. Still with me? All right. We'll see what we can do here. Verse three. Uh, not only that... I like that. It feels like, uh, you ever watch those late night infomercials? But wait, there's more. What is it? (laughs) Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And a hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, Paul's communicating a lot of truth to the church here in that. You see communication about suffering and endurance and character and hope, God's love, Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit as we get into the book. Uh, but I want to pull them all together in, my, in the last truth I have. So truth number three to help us enjoy God is this. You can have growth from God. You can have growth from God. Paul says not only, like, but wait, there's more. And what is the more? It's like he's setting it up as a gift. What is the more? Suffering. Hooray! <laughs> Suffering. But if you look at those three verses there, uh, there's a word he uses three times. It's very important for us to hear. He uses the word produces three times. Like it's, 
It's producing. These things are producing something. They're growing something in us. They're making something in us. God uses suffering to grow you. No amens. Because <laughs> no one's going to be like, amen, brother. Bring on the suffering. No, no, no one does that. Like He says even more that we're to rejoice in suffering. Now, the world around us will say, no, we rejoice after suffering. Christians, we're different. We're strange. We're odd. We're weird. He says, no, you rejoice while suffering. So many of our prayers when we're going through hard times, hardships, trials, and tribulations, and suffering, so much of our prayers are like, God, get me out of here. And God instantly does not get you out of it. And you're like, God, you must not love me, or you're not good, or whatever this. And God's like, no, dummy, I'm there with you in it. He didn't call you dummy. He's like, I'm there with you. What else do you want? I got power. My grace is sufficient in your weakness in this. I'm with you in this. And we're like, oh, really? Oh. But this is what grows us. So my question is, in the middle of suffering, what do you do? What do you do? Do you worship? Because I think that's what we're called to do. We worship God in the middle of suffering. God, everything is bad around me, but you are good and you will sustain me. You will get me to the end. And if I die, I'll be with you even better, right? Or instead of worshiping, do we worry? We worry so much. We're like, I'm out of control and my life is out of control and I can't control anything, which I'm going to argue should push us to worship because like, oh yeah, God's in control. This is really good. God uses suffering to grow us. And everyone suffers, right? Every human being suffers. It's funny, like, we're never taught how to suffer. Like, they don't have uh, lessons in school or in college of, like, suffering 101. That never happens. And so, like, what we all try to do as human beings when it comes to suffering is, like, just get me out of it, make it pain-free. I want epic, awesome, amazing. We teach our kids this, like, not to suffer, not to be sad, not to be on the negative side of the emotional scale. And it's just not helpful. Like, everyone suffers. Now, question for you. Do you want to grow as a human being? Yes or no? Yes. Even the Bible tells us to grow up. It just does. It tells us to find ourselves mature in Christ. Well, the good news is God has a tool for your growth. God is going to give you an opportunity over and over and over to grow, and it is suffering. Now, it comes with a chain effect. Look back at the text. He says in verse 3, Knowing that, I want you to show these four words how they kind of link together. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. You see that kind of chain reaction right here. Suffering, endurance, character, hope. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say a lot of things like, just help me with this. Um, I think endurance is the link to growth. Because that's the hard part. Like suffering happens to you, or it just happens, or you make your own suffering. But then there's endurance. And so what we need as human beings is we need more endurance. Uh, in the running world, if you were to kind of translate it to our lives, we just want to sprint. No one wants to do a marathon. And by the way, anyone here do marathons? Thank God. The, like, why? Why would you run so far? There's cars, there's bikes. Runner's high. You must be high. Uh, but, but life is endurance. It's, it's, it's hard. Endurance means you have grit. You have the stay with it power. You don't quit. You don't, you don't give up. And, and I'm going to make an 
I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to make an assessment. I, I'm, I'm going to make an observational assessment about Christianity today. This is not, this is not a blanket statement. It's, not, it's a generalization. It seems to me, us Christians, I'm a part, us Christians, we are, we've gotten weak. Can I just be honest? We, we, we've gotten weak. We can't take a punch. We just can't, just, we just can't take a punch anymore. And part of our growth is to endure. That's why we are suffering at times, because we need to learn how to take a punch. We need to learn how to take some pain. We need, we need to endure and have some stay with power like our brothers and sisters of old did as well. Endurance under temptation. Temptation's hard to endure under, isn't it? Whatever your temptation is. Some of you, we have different temptations. Temptation to watch too much television, pornography, chocolate cake, uh, not to watch Transformer movies, whatever it is. You got temptation. The pressure is to not give in to it. And so we've got to learn how to be built in that pressure. What about the endurance under persecution? This is the part that's going to get me in trouble. Endurance under persecution. Christian, listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. This is my opinion. Christians, I don't think we're being persecuted right now. Just don't. I feel like we're being inconvenienced. And it just looks like a bunch of inconveniences out there at times, but we're really not being persecuted. Like, come see me when they start taking your house. And come see me when they start firing your jobs. Now, for some of your jobs that may have happened, I get it. Come, come see me when they start cutting your head off. Like, well, you can't after that, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> I just think, I think we're being inconvenienced because what happens is, like, newsflash, the world is not Christian, and it's going to do not Christian things. And, 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 and Christians, when the world does not Christian things, we just explode. We, we weep and gnash and we thrash and we're like, oh my God, like, you know, our Bud Light is not as heterosexual as we want it now. Like, oh no. Like, <laughs> Target's got too many rainbow flags in it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And we all get together and we're like, can you believe it? And my answer is, yeah, I can totally believe it. Why? Because the world around us is not Christian. Right? It's just not. Don't, we're just so surprised. You know, not once in the gospel when Jesus talks about, especially the end time, not once does he say, everybody, Christians, end is coming. Keep your eyes out there for the Bud Light and what's happening with it. And when it happens, freak out. He never says that. Matter of fact, he says, don't be, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just poking fun at Christians. Uh, he says, don't be alarmed. What was Bud Light thinking, man? Don't you know your, don't you know your base? Come on. Like, what are you, I'm from the South, man. They, they don't fly rainbow flags down there. It's a different flag they fly. Anyway. But like, we're not, we're, like, hold it together. It's, just, it's inconvenient, sure. But listen, Christian, we can keep going. We got to stay with power. We can take a punch. Like, love God and love one another. Switch to Miller Lite and Walmart. I don't know. Just like, we, we got this. We're built for this, right? We're built for this. I think this is what Paul's getting at. Suffering and endurance. It's like, um, when we suffer, it makes us look at our world. When we really suffer. Like, uh, some of you know this. You suffered a job loss or downsizing within your job or loss of uh, a demotion or loss of money to where you had to go home and you had to make an assessment of what? Your budget. And you had to start prioritizing. Like, well, what's the priority? Food. 
lights, AC. Okay, you can live in Vegas now, right? And you have to prioritize that. Or, or maybe um, you've, got a, you've got a child at home that's going through a really tough time. And I'm not saying they didn't make the team and they're sad about it. No, they're going through some real tough time. It, it makes you st- stop and like take an assessment and look at your life and like, hey, there, is there things I need to cut out and things that we need to kind of circle the wagons on and see places I need to get help and all that? Suffering is, is, is to cause us to look at our priorities and, and kind, of, kind, of, kind of bring it in. He says that suffering produces endurance, and endurance is, is there to produce character. Listen, human, because I'm one of you as well, because I do this and you do this as well. Sometimes, listen, listen, human, we use suffering to make a lot of, to justify a lot of bad decisions, don't we? We use suffering to, to, to do a lot of dumb, don't we? Like, I had a bad day at work, and so now I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and I deserve it. It's like, no, you don't. I'm going to go eat a chocolate cake and drink a fifth of Jack Daniels or whatever. It's like, no, I deserve it. Like, no, you don't. Like, it's just like suffering doesn't give us an excuse for bad character. It really doesn't. Um, anyone in here ever dieted before? Diets are crazy. And so you've done a really good job at dieting, and then uh, like... Then it happens, you wake up one morning and you eat like, you know, cake or something for morning, for in the morning. You're like, oh, I blew it. Instead of like for lunch, getting back to your tree bark and apple, you're like, no, no, it's the weekend. And you like, you like splurge all weekend long. I'll start again on Monday. Did I just describe your habits right there? It's the equivalent I heard one time of like getting a flat tire and getting outside of your car. I'm like, I got a flat tire. I got three more tires. Let's stab those as well. <laughs> All that to say, suffering does not give us an opportunity or excuse for just bad character. It's to cause endurance, and endurance is to cause good character. What is good character? Well, I mean, you can find it in Galatians 2, uh, or Galatians 5.22. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Is that, is that what's being pushed out of you when you suffer? When, you, when you're squeezed, what comes out of you? The intention of suffering is for us to endure under it, Christ with us, and to produce godly character. Can you see godly character in yourself? Can others see godly character in you when you are suffering? It says in that last verse, he says, uh, character produces hope that will not be put to shame. Shame's an interesting word. You ever felt shame before? You ever ever do something so bad, the next morning you wake up and you look in the mirror, you're like, "Mm, I'm not looking at that guy. (laughs) You, You ever been around a dog? You know, man's best friend, which is a lie. You ever had a best friend eat your shoes or like poop in the living room floor? No. But you ever like been around a dog and a dog does something wrong, has that dog look on their face where they look at you and they just... Shame is what that is. You don't know what shame is, look at a dog. They know. When we hope in Christ, we suffer, endure, starts to build the character in us, It'll never be put to shame. God will grow us. That's that's what he does. So truth number three. In Christ, we can grow from God. Hooray. Some some of you may say, well, Ty, I just feel so stagnant, right? I just feel like I haven't grown in Christ forever. Let me help you with it. If that's you, let me help you with it. Uh, You ever heard of the game Mousetrap? You know the game Mousetrap? In theory the greatest game ever. In reality, the worst game ever, right? Because you're playing with little kids, and uh, playing games like that is the worst with little kids. 
if you don't know anything about mousetrap, it's a game of chain reactions. You, gotta start, you have to like go around the board and build it as you go. And then at the end, you've got to put a marble on it. The marble's got to go down a little track and do all these kind of things. All because at the end, you want to see the marble fall out, hit the little seesaw thing. There's a fellow on there, and a leotard does a backflip into a bucket. When the bucket hits, the little thing goes all the way and catches the mouses. You know what I'm talking about? So in theory, it's great, but when you play with a little child, they get so excited during the game, they're like, da, da, and they're bam, they hit it and mess it all up, and all of a sudden, the little cage goes, you're like, hang on, kid, I got to reset it, and it's really hard. Click, 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 click. You ever done that? And every, you ever played the game mousetrap? It's the worst. Why? They keep blocking the end goal. And here's my point. This all feels like a chain reaction, suffering, endurance, character, hope. And we don't want to suffer, and so we block it. We just block it. We don't want, we don't want Christ to produce this in us because we just don't want to suffer. And so we'll block it by being distracted or getting busy or getting some kind of in an unhealthy habit that we end up hating ourselves over and feeling tons of shame and all that. We get it, whatever we can rely on other than Christ, and we begin to block what he's trying to produce. Or careful. We start blocking, we, we block other people's growth. Parents, listen to me. We've we, we got to allow our kids to suffer a little bit. Man, I've heard of helicoptering parenting and there's all, like lifeguard parenting, all these different ty- types of parenting. It's like we want to make sure little Susie and little Johnny feel no pain and everything's epic, awesome, and amazing throughout their childhood, probably because of the pain we felt. And if not careful, we're, we're, doing, we're, we're, we're doing some damage by blocking a little bit of suffering. Now, I'm not talking about major suffering or anything like that. Please don't go home and tell your kid, like, Pastor Ty said, time to suffer. And like, <laughs> like here we go. Like, no, 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 life's hard enough. They're going to suffer. Don't. <laughs> but as a parent, as a parent, listen, listen, listen. Kids right now in this room hate me. They're like, shut up. <laughs> um, uh, we, we, we need to be parents who are observant to allow them to feel the weight of their existence a little bit and some sadness and some tough things. Now, as a parent, you need to manage and mitigate what's best because we don't, you know, throw them to the wolves, but also we don't want to bubble wrap. And so perhaps in your parenting, you may be like, I'm not empowering my child to live life and to suffer well and know Christ in their suffering. I'm enabling my child, and that's going to later come back and haunt you. Maybe, Maybe that's it. Maybe in marriage. Maybe maybe we're enabling our our spouse. We're blocking what God's trying to do through through our spouse through suffering. Like we want our spouse to be okay. We want them to be taken care of. We want them to enjoy life. We want them to be happy because if they're happy, guess what? We're happy too. But but maybe there's some things that that they they need to feel the weight of their existence on. Maybe there's some things that they need help with. Maybe there's some things you got to stop covering up and helping with and enabling in order for them to suffer, endure, and build some character as well. See, here's the reality. Of each and every one of us, the greater pain you endure, the greater change and impact you'll have in your own life and other people's lives as well. Who can can take the pain usually wins the game. That's what it really is. I'm a friend with a guy who used to be a professional food eater, and I was like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? He said, it's all about pain. Joey Chestnut just won. He's not my friend. I'm talking about something. He just won the hot dog eating contest. Like, could you imagine being famous for that? I eat hot dogs for a living. Awesome. 
But it's all about pain. He said, it's whoever can have the most pain. That's, that's how you win those things. You can't put 84 pounds of hot dogs in your stomach and not feel a little bit of pain. I got someone handed me this quote one time, and it just really helped me in my leadership. It said this. It says, you can exercise and sustain personal leadership only to the extent of your capacity to bear pain. If you can bear only your own pain, then you can't really lead. If you can respond to bear only the pain of your family, then your family represents the scope of your leadership potential. If, however, by God's great grace, you can recognize and bear the pain of those around you, then the scope of your leadership potential is limited only by the scope of your burden and capacity. All this talk about bearing may seem off-putting to some. You may be thinking, isn't leadership more about vision and the ability to inspire others than about pain? Not really. To be sure, there's a kind of a leadership that can rouse people to action for a short time, but enduring leadership invariably will be built upon the confidence that those whom you call leader would sacrifice themselves not only for the cause they share with you, but even for you yourself. Jesus is our greatest example, right? Think about the pain he endured on the cross, the physical pain. They say nothing is, is more painful than the whipping that he took before that, ripping his skin off his own flesh, the nailing to the cross, the suffocating and all, the physical pain. Think about the relational pain that Jesus went through. For the first time in eternity ever separated from the Father. Never has he ever experienced that. The emotional pain, perhaps, of him. He's innocent yet being treated as a guilty person. And yet the greatest character of all. We can take our cues from him. So truth number three, in Christ, we can grow from God. Now we look at these three things to help us enjoy God, peace with God, access to God, and growth from God. Here's what I'm going to do with the remaining amount of my time this morning. I want us just to sit in some silence and just listen. What has the Lord called you to this morning? What has the Lord spoken to you? Has he, is there sin to confess and repent of? Is there a, a, a truth you haven't been believing to, you need to replace that lie you've been believing with a truth? What is it? What is God saying to you today? How does he want you to enjoy him? And what is blocking you from enjoying the goodness of God and God himself? Let me pray for us. Let's have a moment of silence first. Rarely, Father, in life do we have an opportunity to sit still, 
just to be present before you. To allow the dust of your word to settle on the furniture of our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak to us. For some, we need to hear conviction. We've been disbelieving you. We've been running from you, hiding from you, believing lies and not your truth. Holy Spirit, would you sweetly show us that? For others of us, we, just, we need comfort. It, it is a season of true suffering, potentially true, true persecution, potentially true trials. There's a war in the heart, war in relationships, war in the home, in the workplace. Holy Spirit, may you comfort us with the word. Never leave us, never forsake us. If adopted, always a son, always a daughter. That you'll be with us till the end and, and beyond. Jesus, would you help us to grow in enjoying you? Not just be a ritualistic thing, not just be a Sunday savior, but God, may we truly enjoy you. May, may when we think about you, a, a smile hit our face, a twinkle in our eye, a, a leap in our heart of how good you are, how kind you are, merciful and gracious you are. And your promises will endure any and every hardship. And may we be a people here at Grace Point Church, a people that thoroughly enjoy you as we gather and as we scatter as well. And may an outside world see that enjoyment, to see that we're people not easily rattled, to see that we're a people of character and hope. As you, as you do that, will many, many see the light of Christ. May your gospel go forth. As you do that, would you increase our joy, continue to defeat the enemy, and be good for the world around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.